look forward to the day no longer have to use this stool. We are continuing our study of the doctrine of church discipline. This is sermon number 18. We're dealing with the importance of the discipline that God has set forth in his word for restoration of individuals who go astray from the faith. And we're going to be looking now at the importance of the declaration of removal. We talked last week about the first engagement of excommunication, which is where someone is put under discipline. They're removed from their membership privileges as well as coming to the table of the Lord. Being the fact that they have in some manner violated the very teachings of God's word. They are living in sin and transgression of the law of God, and they have therefore broken communion, or if you will, they have broken the fellowship of the unity that we are to walk in by the Spirit of God in faith. And thus, this is our next step in the action that is be, to be taken by the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we have noted that Matthew 18 through 15 through 20 has rightfully summed up the structure to some extent of church discipline we noted that there were some things that it did not address. It did not address the concept of self-discipline, which we said is really the first step. Getting a hold of yourself, being able to, to govern your life right before God. But Matthew 18 has given us an overview of exactly what is to be accomplished, and to some extent, the things that need to be done in certain ways. Not that everything is here. There is a variation of things that can be done as you move from these different steps. It doesn't put a time frame on them, but the church must at some point move forward naturally. You can't start with the second step and do that for 40 years. It is to be timely. The idea is restoration, not a continuance of the way things are going in the life of an individual. Well, let's look, because this is our text, Matthew 18 and verses 15 through 20. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. But if he will not hear, take with you one or two more that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth 
will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the privilege that we are able to come and to examine thy word, O God, today. We ask that you teach us Discipline is not an enemy, but a friend. It is designed to help keep us in the straight and narrow. Wide is the gate, you said, that leads to destruction. Narrow is the path that leads to righteousness. When those who are of the faith enter into the wide path. We who have the Spirit of God, we who have the responsibility also to lead the church, we're to go and to redirect their path to the narrow way. We pray, O oh God, that we would all grasp the duty, the responsibility that falls to each one of us. You will hold us accountable. And no doubt, oh God, we refuse to do what you tell us to do if we refuse to be honorable before you. Their blood will be upon our hands. They have walked in the way that is wide and we have not warned them. We have not stopped them. We've not turned them back. We've simply sat in silence and let them damn their own life and soul. What a horrible day, O oh God. The day when the secrets of man's heart will be revealed before all. He won't be able to hide it. He didn't even love those who professed faith enough to do what was necessary to bring shame upon them for their unwillingness to walk in the way that you've told us to walk. Help us, O oh God, not to be like that. We pray now, Father, give us Eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to receive that which your word and spirit would teach us in this time that we have together. In Christ's name, amen. We began five Sundays ago teaching on the meaning of church discipline. Carefully noting that it is rooted etymologically in the ideas of learning, education, teaching, or tutoring. And we have said that there is both a positive and negative structure to this. We've been looking at that. As a matter of fact, this whole time of teaching on this has been very positive. You have learned you have a duty when someone transgresses against you to go to them privately. You've learned that if they will not hear you, you're to take, God takes this seriously. You die in your sin, you go to hell. What do you think? Peter says, daily make your calling and election sure that you're of God. You have a duty, a responsibility to go. Do you love them? 
then go. You want to see them in heaven? Go. And if they will not hear, take two or three with you. And if they will not hear, bring it before the church. Let the elders of the church, let the church as the people in the whole body together say to them, we are not going to let you. We are not going to give you an okay to live in sin. I love you enough that if I have to break fellowship with you, I will do so. If that's what it takes to get you to see the shame of the way you are walking and living your Well, we said we have the first in step four movement toward excommunication. It doesn't mean throwing them outside of the visible church. We want them to come to church. They're welcome. We're excited to see them when they show up every Sunday because we know there is no greater power on earth than the word of God that is given and the spirit applying it to your Christian walk. No greater power can change the heart of a man or a woman than hearing the word of God preached and the spirit of God bringing it down like fire as it was from heaven and burning their soul within to desire not damnation, but salvation. To walk in the news of life. So we now move on to this Next part, once we cannot get them, having taken away their membership privileges, having said you cannot take the Lord's Supper, having announced to the church, you need to start exhorting them for their sin that they're in. Reprove them. Dude, please do not live in this way. The only testimony you have it's not what you say with your mouth. It's what you say with your life. And I fear for the damnation of your soul. So we move on to step five, which is the concluding stage in the process of this discipline. It is a big step. And it is for this reason we move now from the understanding of them being in the kingdom of light. They have now proven they are actually a part of the kingdom of darkness. Do you grieve for them? Do you grieve for their soul? Do you really care? I would hope so. This is both a cleaning and a remedial step for the church. There are those individuals in the church which God's people are to now separate when they will not repent. Perfect cleansing is itself impossible this side of eternity. Yet church discipline is 
the first fruits in that process. Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 5.24, some men's sins are clearly evident. You can see how they are living in sin, preceding them to judgment. Their sins are clear, judgment is coming. But some, uh, but those of some men follow later. Church discipline is one of the two ways in which the church makes a judgment about those who have made a false profession of faith. I hear you say and sing, oh, how I love Jesus. Do you really? You live like Satan, but you say you love Jesus. Can't, can't reconcile that. How can you love the Lord Jesus and violate his law? Live immorally. Be stubborn. Do you remember what stubbornness is? Do you remember that rebellion, stubbornness, the unwillingness to do what God has commanded is the same as the sin of witchcraft? God looks at your rebellion just the way he'd look at a witch. And you know what he said to do with witches? Burn them. Now, New Testament church, we can't burn them. But God will in judgment. People, payday is coming someday. I know, we get so used it was not many years ago. Feels almost like yesterday. I was young. I thought I had the world all before me. Plenty of time. Now I'm looking death in the face. Time's running out. Yesterday I was young, but today I'm old. And I get scared every other day. I know judgment day's coming. I know who I trust. I know who I love. But I know the secrets of my own heart. I did not in many ways seize the day that I should have. Things I've been willing to overlook, to look the other way. But I tell you now, I will stand in judgment over those things. I have been given a duty and responsibility to preach the truth of the kingdom of God and the purity of his gospel. But a part of that preaching, that compelling, that counseling, that confrontation is for you to walk away from sin and embrace the righteousness of Christ in your life. So it is, we have to sometimes tell those who have made false professions, what you say, what you do, are two different things.
In 1 John 2.19, we read, They went out from us, but they were not of us. Now he's talking about some who walked with them shared in the ministry of the gospel. They were a part of us, but they went out. Why? They were really never a part of us. You just heard Pastor Jason talk about this hip-hop guy. The only hip-hop person I knew of was growing up was the Easter Bunny, but I guess they have some kind of a new hip-hop group. 30 years vested in the gospel. Bible college trained, seminary trained, conservatively, Calvinistically. Not only is angry with the church, but he's angry with Christ himself. And he has said, I want nothing to do with the church of Jesus Christ. Period. Renouncing his faith. That's a lot of years. Professing that faith. Only to come to the reality he has no faith. He's basically telling you, I'm ready to go to hell. I don't care. I'm not afraid of what God can do to me. He's been taught the truth. He'll wake up and find out one day he made a bad mistake. He will fear God. The Bible says fear the God who is living. Oh, if his God was simply an idol of the past, some ancient old, no need to fear. A God of stone is just a God of stone. A God of wood is just a God of wood. A God of human flesh, albeit except Christ, but some other man, it's just human. Walk from them, flee from them, reject them. Nothing happened. But when you fall in the hands of a living God who is going to hold you accountable for what you do, you better fear. You want a war with God? Not going to win. Just not going to happen. Worst battle you can pick. Let's go to war with God. But yet we see it all the time. Ow! Sin. That's what the renunciation of his faith is. Sin. So when we sin, what are we doing? Basically telling God, I'm going to fight with you. I don't think you're right. Oh, it may not be in so many words, but that's what you're doing. You're saying, God, you're unfit to govern. I have a better understanding of what is right and wrong and how to judge properly where you do not. But my friend... The day's coming, mark it down. Pay day some day for every one of us. And it ought to make us fear that living God. He is not going to say, ha ha, you know, 
it's okay. He doesn't do that. I've heard sermon after sermon growing up. Some of you will get into heaven by the skin of your teeth, but is that what you really want to do? I got news for you. You're not going to get in by the skin of your teeth. You're not going to back your way into the kingdom of God. Don't go to war with God. It's a losing proposition. Fear God. For if they had been of us, he says, they would have continued with us. They would have walked with us. They would have made right their sin and walked with us. They would have stayed with us. Communion with us. True fellowship with us. In what? In the word of the living God. Seeking to exhort one another. Love one another. Encourage one another. Confront one another. That we may all together. In the end. Be together with the Father and the Son. But they went out. Now listen. But they went out. That they might be made manifest. They're going out. Isn't under their own power. They've gone out so it can be made manifest to us that none of them were us or were of us. They weren't. I heard a preacher one time say, a gospel that cannot drive people away will never attract people. And how true that is. You love sin, you're not going to like the light. Because you're going to love darkness. And darkness doesn't like light. For where there is light, it will scatter the darkness. So what are we are seeing here in this passage? Those who leave the church make it evident they were never saved in the first place. This guy making this profession of faith, I read his profession. I heard him talk about it, read about what things people had said. What was he saying to us? <laughs> I'm not a part of it. One day, oh, he might go back to another church, but I'll guarantee you, it won't be a gospel preaching church. No, I'll take a quasi gospel. I'll take no gospel. I'll take a humanistic gospel, but I'm not going to walk in that gospel of the word and its purity. I don't know what he's mad about. It doesn't make any difference. I'm telling you, he isn't leaving on his own accord. He's being made manifest that he was never a part of us. Just because you're in a gospel group or you sing or anything else you do, does not merit the kingdom of heaven. He could have sang everything, oh, how he loves Jesus. Wouldn't have made any difference. Hip-hop style, country style, rock and roll, whatever it would be. Words without meaning. 
Empty words. Empty phrases. But now God has made manifest. He never was of us. And you've got to ask a question. What are you he not hearing in all this? What have you not heard? I haven't heard him say a thing about it. And I've heard nobody else speak to it. Where's his church discipline? Why haven't they been involved in this? To try to keep him from falling into his sin. To the point of rejecting Christ. It's got to be a question you got to ask. They never belonged to an individual church, to a visible church. They simply never really belonged to it. Oh, they were there, they associated with it. They were there physically, but they never were spiritually part of the church of Jesus Christ. While the regenerate man will return to the church in repentance, the unregenerate man will not. No. Listen, people, anybody can walk down these paths and they can stumble and they can fall. But I'll guarantee you this. He that has the Spirit of God, he that has the Spirit of the Son of the living God, the Holy Spirit that indwells him, he will get up and he will repent and return to the body. The unregenerate man never does. Never does. Discipline is initiated when unsaved persons who are members of the visible church fall into sin. That eventually becomes evident to either certain individuals or the church at large or at least even to the elders of the church. Because they will not repent, good discipline often roots them out eventually. They come, they identify, and the truth is, they're cancer. They're going to rot the church from within. They're going to spread their evil. They're going to encourage others. You ever hear that saying, misery loves company, so does evil. And if I can get you to go the way that I'm going, even though I, weirdly I say, I love Jesus, but if I can get you to participate in my sin, I will have accomplished much. That's cancer. And sometimes you can treat cancer. That's what church discipline is. It's like using chemicals or radiation to try to save that individual. And sometimes it gets pretty desperate. And then you've got to go in and cut it out. To save the body. The body of Christ sometimes is infected with cancer. Hey, they come in and they say the right things and you think they mean well. But in the end, it becomes manifest who they are. Now we are left to deal with it.
So many churches today have gone through that in their history that they have thrown it out. You know, you can't keep people in church when you have to discipline people. People get scared and fear. Well, it's better to fear me than to have to fear God. Because if I don't deal with your sin, believe me, someday God's going to. But his system, I cut the cancer out. He just destroys the body. I try to cure the cancer. Now, I can't do it in my own power naturally. I'm preaching the gospel and I'm hoping it takes effect. I'm hoping that the confrontation that he told me I am to do against the world and the sin that lives within you will correct you and bring you into that right path of seeking to put on the righteousness of Christ. But if I can't do it, (laughs) what do you think there's passages that says, you remember them guys? We turn them over for God to deal with them. Yeah, we're done. And you know, the sad part of it is, is because God doesn't just kill you immediately. Everybody thinks, he hadn't done anything yet to us. Do not think the long-suffering of God is his weakness. What it really is, is he's just giving you enough rope to hang yourself. But the day's coming when he's going to jerk on that rope and he's going to choke you to death. And you'll pay. Please don't pay. And if they will not leave of their own accord, if they have gotten themselves into sin and that sin manifests itself and it's in rebellion to the law and word of God, how do you deal with it? He gave us a duty. Not just to me, but to you. You're part of the church. We must remove them. Wasn't my idea. Me? I'm the doctor. Well, at best, I'm really a good nurse. And I go and I counsel, and I plead, and I beg. Do what's right before God. Do you not think you're going to get away with sin in your life? It ain't going to happen. And they will not hear. There comes a point in time when that sin is so bad it must be removed lest the whole body think we can sin and get away with it. Nobody cares. And as long as we don't hear about it, we don't have to worry about putting up with it. We can last But unbelievers are not the only ones who are removed by discipline. Listen very carefully. Remedial contumacy. That is when you have people that are unwilling to repent. Who are Christians? Believers can also be removed from the church, and handed over to Satan, who is used by God in his wise providence to chastise them and bring them back to from their wandering ways to the way of righteousness. So sometimes even believers get excommunicated. Removed from the church, turned over to Satan, 
Okay, God, deal with them in your way. We've tried, we've begged, we've pleaded, we've cried. We're disappointed. We're hurt. They say that they're our friends. They say that they love Christ, but they do not follow you. Destroy them. If they are a true believer in order to save the soul, destroy them that they do not lead others to their destruction. That God should use Satan and the world as a whip to spank his rebellious children should not surprise us. One of my great fears was that God would protect my family. To be out of accord with God would put me in a direct line Judgment of God. And oh, how I feared for my daughters and my wife. That my foolishness one day might bring the wrath of God upon me and turn me over to those instruments of destruction He's appointed just to get my attention. What a price to pay. And yeah, he does that. And it's not unjust. He didn't have to give you a life to begin with. You've got nothing. You came in, Job said, you came into this world with nothing. And you're going to leave with nothing. But blessed be the name of God. He lost all of his money, all of his property. He lost all of his cattle. He lost all of his servants. And he lost all of his children. They all died because of his sin. But he eventually repented. And God restored him tenfold more than he had originally. But what a price to pay. It is the message of the Old Testament. Consider the book of Judges, which is a story of God's dealing with a rebellious Israel. What the devil intends for evil, God uses to lead his covenant people home. The Babylonian captivity approximates this very step. The words of our Lord Jesus in Matthew 18, 17, part B, are these. And if he refuses to listen to the church, treat him as a heathen and a tax collector. The heathen are outside of the church. The tax collector was a Jew who had been put out of the church. Person outside of the church was viewed as what? An unbeliever. So is the impenitent sinner. Unrepentant. He was treated as an unbeliever. That's what we're to do. That's why we break communion with them. Hey! You're supposed to be my friend. My comrade in Christ, you live like the world. And God says, because you will not repent, I have to deal with you as an unbeliever. Which, by the way, doesn't mean we can violate the law of God toward them. Not at all. 
Never are we unkind. We're always, as a Christian people, a kind, a very courteous, loving, long-suffering people. But we can't allow it in the church. It is possible that the individual under church discipline, having been removed, will be restored. Restoration. I told you, reconciliation and restoration is exactly what church discipline is about. This is what happened with the incestuous man. But until he does repent, the excommunicated member must be treated as an unbeliever. Not according to my rules. These are gods. You don't like it? Take it up with him. But I got news for you. Once he says it, he's not given in. He has spoken. It's law. It's going to be required. However, we need to be very clear. Step four is excommunication. To declare them unfit for the Lord's Supper. To remove their membership privileges and fellowship from among them. We begin to separate there from them. It is our duty to do these things, no matter how hurtful they are. To discipline those who will not heed the adjudication of the elders. The church as a whole must say to them, you know what? You are not removed yet from the church. But we're going to start separating ourselves from you because we cannot tolerate sin in our midst. Because if you're going to let one, let them all. And God says, no, we don't let any. And I'll judge you for every one that you violate. But step five is about removing them now from the church as a member, declaring no repentance. We've tried, we have counseled, we have continued to ask them and beg them, come, repent of your sin, restore yourself to a right relationship, ask for forgiveness, confess it before the body of Christ, but to no avail. Thus declaring no repentance. They are aliens to the Christian faith and practice. They talk a good talk. But they don't walk a good walk. Finally, the teaching of Matthew 18 and in 1 Corinthians 5.13, the fifth step thus consists this is why the New Testament describes the process to us. Three actions sum up this process. And I will close with this in the next Lord's Day. We'll continue on the rest of the sermon. Removing, cleaning, or getting, if you will, him out of the fellowship. Time to remove. You know what? You're not welcome. In our fellowship. Not welcome to come to preach. They can come every Sunday service. We want them to come. But you know what? There is a communion. There is a fellowship. A unity among us who profess faith in Christ. You're not welcome to be a part of that in our life. We're not going to overlook your sin. Shame on you if you say you're a Christian and you're willing to overlook their sin. I don't know what kind of a Christian you are, but you don't add up to the book. Then we hand him over to Satan. 
We say to God, we've done everything we can do. No repentance. I don't care what they're doing. You know what most people do? They run off to another church to find somebody that will go, oh, you poor little person, you've been disciplined by those bad people over there because you're in sin. You know what? We'll love you and take you. You get that nonsense of the world, that worldly love. Oh, it's unconditional. No, it's not unconditional. Hand them over to Satan. And third, treating them as a heathen and a tax collector. The first shows the imperative for getting him out of the communion, the fellowship. Setting him aside. The second speaks of the concern for the one who is removed. I love you enough to remove you. I want you to see you are not in accord with the body of Christ as the word of God declares it to us. The third speaks of the manner in which the church now must treat him. Removal of the unrepentant sinner does not mean he can never attend our services. Of course not. The hope is that he will attend and that he will repent. Removal means that he is removed from that care of the church, the preaching of that care that comes within that concept of counseling and discipleship. And it's discipline for correction, to walk in the way of righteousness. And so it is we have this responsibility. It is no small consequence. I didn't make it up. It's in the book. I'm reading it to you. I'm showing you. We have a duty. you got as much duty as I have in this. My job is to take the lead as an elder in the church, as your senior pastor, to set forth the principle of calling them to repentance once you cannot get this worked out. <clears throat> but your duty is to walk in harmony with the word and the church and say to them, when time comes and you're removed, we've already started removing ourselves and noting that you're in sin and we've been exhorting you. Repent, repent. When they remove you, we will not fellowship with you. You're not my best friend. I'm not going to go to the movie. I'm not going to go golfing. I'm not going to go out and have coffee with you. I'm not going to go eat, a, no matter how much I like pie and coffee. I'm not going to go out and get pie and coffee. I'm not going to go out and do this. I'm not going to go out and do that. I'm not going to go out and we're going to go shopping together and we're going to do this together. I'm not going to do those things. You're in sin. You want my fellowship? Repent. Get right with God. Make it right. Return to the church. And ask for forgiveness. If not, you're just a cancer. And you'll corrupt me before it's over. And I am not going to let you corrupt me. And I'm not going to let you corrupt our church.
these people love me and they've loved you enough to do the hard work, to confront, to call sin out. You have not heeded. You've chosen to go your own way. You have rejected what God has said. So be it. Go your own way. But it will not be with me. Do not become a part of their sin. Do you hear me? Do not become a part of their sin. There's a price to pay for doing it. Yeah, and it gets hard sometimes. You don't have to tell me. I've been down this road. It's hard. It's even harder when it's in your own home. But you know what? The love that we ought to have for someone in sin should be so great that whatever we have to do according to the word, we ought to be doing to win. How much do you love those who are a part of your fellowship here? How much do you love Christ? Do you really walk according to his word? Maybe a game to you may be a playing program to you, but it's not to God. One day, you're going to find out the hard way. And I exhort you, don't go that way. Payday one day. Judgment's coming. But you're going to find out that God begins his judgment long before the final judgment. He's going to, whatever is necessary, bring you back to repentance if you're his child. Father loves his child. He disciplines him when he gets out of control. The child of God in the church gets out of control. We discipline him. We don't run around with sticks and beat on you. We don't burn you at the stake. We don't take guns and shoot you. We don't tie you up and hang you. We confront you. We counsel you. We beg you. We pray for you. We do everything we can do to show the love of Christ to you. But eventually, if we have to, Because you know why? We love God more than we love you. And the only way, if necessary, to bring you to repentance is to remove you, so be it. That's your choice. You made it. We are walking in union. You're out of union. You're out of fellowship. And if that's what you want, go your own way. They're never happy until they take you with them. Nothing can make them more happy than to see that rebellion loves company. But I tell you now, be careful. Better think through very carefully what God tells us to do and how to do it. We're all going to be held accountable for. 
but always let us love. No matter what happens, let us love that person. Let us love their soul. Let us seek to bring the gospel to their life and to bring them back to Christ and his church to live right. That's our goal. Reconciliation. Restoration. Shall we pray?